Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Welcome, everyone, back to the broadcast. We're doing a second broadcast this week uh, because we all need to uh, collectivize and uh, process our trauma. Uh, I'm David Woods from Bronaport Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined by Tracy Pearson on this Friday morning. UCLA's basketball season is over after losing um, on yet another uh, last-second shot to Gonzaga uh in the uh in the final seconds uh last night in the sweet 16 uh tracy's uh you know he's been rendered uh uh ill he's malaise ridden uh due to the events of last night sadness it's just all sadness dave it's it's i'm processing that's the word everyone i've talked to this morning and last night that's that's the word you're processing yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we thought we would record a podcast and uh, just kind of process together. Processing so, podcast. It's a processing podcast. Uh, we've written a lot of perspective posts, and we'll get to kind of the perspective stuff. Um, I do want to talk about the game, though. Because I, I, this is kind of one of the things that I came to last night, which is intellectually, like on an intellectual level going into the game, I was expecting UCLA to play valiantly and lose. So, on an intellectual level, the game went to my expectation, right? Correct. Like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know why uh, why anyone would be disappointed with that effort. But on an emotional level, and I think on a visceral level, I truly did expect them to win because of the uh, all the all the stuff, all the happy crappy that Mick Cronin says, and all the 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 truth of the matter, which is this team is insanely tough. Uh, insanely focused, insanely together. Uh, the program is built that way. And uh, I just figured, oh, okay, well, they'll do it with Kenny Nuba too, and that's going to be fine. Um, and even though intellectually I knew that it would be uh, essentially what it was, on an emotional level, I was still shocked and stunned that they lost. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty incredible concept that – we would even think they could win down two starters. Yeah. You just kind of, you got to admit too, even I know what you're saying, that dichotomy between emotion and intellectualism, but you were starting to think intellectually too, that they could absolutely win oh, this game in game. Oh, in, in game. It's, it's a whole different story. I'm talking about even pregame intellectually. I was like, yeah, they're going to lose. Emotionally, I was like, but they're probably not. <laughs> like, it's it's this, uh, inside me there are two wolves, and one of them is insane. Um, and then, uh, yeah, what the game did was kind of convert your intellectual side. Uh, because it said, well, uh, I mean, let, let's just talk about that first half. 
So in the first half, uh, they they walked into halftime with a 46-33 lead. But there wasn't anything in the first half that I looked at because I, I, I like to do that. Like if they're if they're shooting at just an insane clip and they're up by 10 at halftime, I'm usually the one like uh, alarms should be ringing because if, if they're only up by 10 shooting like that, then they're going to be in trouble. But there wasn't anything crazy they were doing. They were turning over Gonzaga and UCLA turns over everyone. They were shooting pretty well. But if you watch the way Gonzaga was playing defense, it wasn't like they were shooting the lights out. There was nothing about that first half that felt unsustainable. It wasn't like Kenny Nwuba went for 15 points. Um, I mean, they allowed Drew Timmy to score, I think it was 19 and a half. But it, it, it just felt like, okay, well, UCLA can sustain that as long as they don't go into one of their, you know, uh, biblical level droughts. But intellectually, you, you walk out of that first half saying, wow, they're up by 13 and they, they played pretty well, but it wasn't like they played a perfect game. Yeah, it was um, – well, let's – yeah, I completely agree with you. I, I'm starting – let's start a bit with the game plan. Um, mm-hmm. Like you said, he decided not to double Drew Timmy. That We're right. talking him as in Mick Cronin. And, and take away uh, – keep, keep all their help de- – keep the defense extended. Don't allow them to kill you on threes. And it was working. Because a couple other things, too. Um, we had said this before in the other podcast that when Gonzaga gets wound up and plays too fast, they turn over the ball. They yep. had nine turnovers in the first half. That was yep. significant. I think UCLA had, what, 12 points off turnovers in the first half? Something ridiculous. So Yeah. It was, no, it was more than that. It was like 15. 15. It was all yeah. working to plan. Let's let's turn them over. And this is the thing, too. UCLA isn't a team that needs to slow down to win. I mean, how, how you think about it is that more talented teams want to speed you up to get more possessions because they're more talented and they will eventually beat you. The guys you put on the floor last night, UCLA, you could say, is more talented than Gonzaga. So, let's hey, we'll speed you up. We'll go play your game. And you'll turn the ball over 18 times, and we'll get a lot of points off of turnovers. And we yep. are just as good, if we want to play that style, we're just as good as you offensively. Let Drew Timmy go get his points. We're just not going to let you kill us with threes. And it yep. was working. Yep. It was working. What happened in the second half, and it's it's funny because we are all, we've all been talking about how losing Jalen Clark – and then a Dembona um, was going to catch up with them. And it caught up with them, in my opinion, in one main way. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't necessarily having Jalen Clark's defense or a Dembona's defense. It was just you didn't have two other guys to play. Um, Jaime Jaquez and, and I, I, they started missing. You know, why were they missing open shots? They were just gassed. They're tired, man. They were shooting well in the first half, and they didn't shoot that well in the second half, which on pretty open looks, and I can only attribute it to they looked tired. Um, they looked exhausted, and the I'm not I haven't been hammering the exhaustion point because I think it's it's usually kind of silly, but in this game it was obvious. I mean, they were so wiped out. Um, they were if you every time they did a close up of Jaime or Tiger, they were heaving breaths, like just clearly. 
running on fumes by the last. I wouldn't even say it. I, if I had a if I had a, uh, a bone to pick with Mick Cronin about his substitution patterns last night, it was that I don't think Dylan Andrews came on the court until like it was six minutes to go in the first half, something like that. And I think playing that many first half minutes, even though the fatigue didn't show up yet, uh, that put him in a hole going into the second half when they were going to be required to play, you know, most of the 20. Right. And then there were a couple of critical shots that Will McClendon took. And whether Will McClendon ends up a player at UCLA down the line, we all don't know because these are high, these are college players. They're never the same player two years from now than they are as yeah. freshmen. So he could still end up someone. All of these people saying all these various things on the forum. You were saying that about Tiger Campbell when he was a freshman. He couldn't shoot. I mean, you were saying that about David Singleton too. Um so I'm not saying he's going to be a player. We just don't know. And, but we do know that uh, Mick Cronin develops players. So let's just take that concept and, and put a pin in that for later. But in this game, he took two critical shots that I would have liked to have had Dylan Andrews taking those shots. Because Dylan Andrews hit a three, a clutch yeah. three. Um, I think he's – it's interesting because I think Dylan Andrews is a better defender too and I mean McClendon is maybe an inch taller I mean maybe bigger and can body up more on bigger guys but I would have traded that for the offense that Dylan Andrews could give you and he had already shown that he had made that I mean that's a huge shot for a freshman to make in in the sweet 16 game so we're nitpicking Uh, caveat we are nitpicking because we're trying to help all bros process what happened. Yeah, Nick Cronin so, is an excellent coach. Are, can we nitpick and second guess things? Of course. It's what we do. Everyone can. That doesn't, well, that doesn't take away from the concept that Mick Cronin is an excellent coach. So here's the thing. With a one-point game, with a game that literally swung on a single possession – Anything you decide to focus on that you think was a misstep, you out there, uh, yes, correct, that one would have shifted the game. But the thing is, on the order of importance, Will McClendon's four minutes in this game are not super high up there. It's just in a game that swings on a single possession, you can point at anything and say, yikes, that thing, or yikes, that thing. But, I mean, in in the grand scheme of things, uh, if you're picking one thing in this entire game that uh, uh, killed UCLA... Uh, Tracy's got one, which I think is fatigue, but the other one that's actually quantifiable uh, is defensive rebounding. They yeah. they just did not clear up their defensive, which uh, could have been de- fatigue. <laughs> yeah, totally, it could have been related. But um, the thing with the McClendon Andrews thing, and this is kind of my point on it, is Will McClendon got pulled in the first half, and people keep saying Will McClendon shouldn't be shooting, and I'm like, no, if Mick Cronin is playing him, he needs to shoot. And there was a play in the first half where he passed up a shot and, you know, handed the live grenade off to Jaime Hawkes, which turned into a bad shot, where that got McClendon pulled because on the ensuing defensive possession, he also uh, gave up an and one. But um, the thing that got him pulled, the thing that already had Cronin signaling to the bench was uh, McClendon not not being willing to take the shot. I don't think Cronin cares if he misses every single three that he takes. I mean, he does at some level, but he wants him to still display the confidence to take those shots. The position he plays requires that he take those shots. 
that he isn't hitting them is kind of immaterial to he needs to be able to take those. And if he's not showing the confidence to do so, and this is the unfortunate thing with McClendon is his inability to hit shots over the last month of the season. I think, I think he was able to withstand it for a while, but it has clearly infected other parts of his game. Uh, He's not playing with a ton of confidence. So I think in this game, recognizing all of that, all four of McClendon's minutes should have gone to Andrews and Andrews should have played. I think he played 11. He should have played 15. And if he plays 15, yes, that might've been enough to swing this game because literally any shift in a positive direction would have been able to shift this game because it was a very close game. But for, from, from a actual like quantifiable standpoint, it was probably 10th on the list of things that would have mattered. And, and I'm still putting fatigue in at, at the top offensive rebounds. Gonzaga in the second half had 14. Yeah. Uh, uh, 14 on 19 misses. That's crazy. And and I, it was it was all about fatigue. And I'm telling you, it's not... It's funny because everyone was talking about the loss of Jalen Clark, his his 13 points a game, his, his defense. This was just not having two more guys to play. Yeah. That's, that's what it was. Um, <clears throat> uh, just being able... To if you had Jalen Clark and he had twenty eight minutes, I you've just got you've got another body out there who's able to give you the a twenty eight. He probably would have played thirty four. No, I mean he would have played the same thirty eight that the other guys did. Yeah. I mean, I mean Jaime played thirty nine, Singleton played thirty eight, Tiger played thirty eight, uh, Amari played thirty four. Um, so he probably takes, uh, you know, most of Singleton's minutes and Andrews doesn't play much. Um, or, or they're able to use Andrews to keep Tiger a little bit fresher. Yeah, potentially. Um, there's a few different ways you can work it when you actually have a playable roster as it was UCLA really had six effective players in this game and I could go either way on, uh, Kenny Nwuba. Um, they, they had. This was the most limited um, uh, bench depth that UCLA's played with. Um, I, I can't remember the last time. Um, just uh, a, 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 kind of an incredible effort. So getting uh, – so I was both – all right, so intellectually at halftime, I thought they were going to win. Intellectually at like the 10-minute mark, I thought they were going to get blown out. <laughs> I thought this was going to be, by the time it ended, it'll be one of those sneaky, weird games where it felt like UCLA should have won, and then they lost by 18. They were down 72-62 with two minutes and 40 to go. And I was like, oh, there's no way. They're going to they're gonna have to start fouling here, and it's going to be an 18-point game, and it's going to look really bad when it wasn't. Um, to come back with the obvious insane fatigue they were all feeling – uh, for Jaime to hit those two and ones, uh, for everyone to be more or less perfect on their free throws down the stretch, I mean, that was that was legendary stuff. And Amari Bailey, I mean, look, uh, obviously Homer perspective. Look, let's just call it what it is. But Amari Bailey hitting that three should have been rewarded with a win. Like, for them to come back, like, playing basically six guys, one of whom is, you know, Look, we all like Nuba, but, um, you know, not a UCLA-level starter. Uh, and to come back and nearly win that thing, I mean, that's just – that was storybook stuff, and it just didn't have the right finish. It was starting to feel like 2006. Oh, starting to. 
I was like, well, uh, how, it, do I, it didn't how do I write? How, is because it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. How do I write the opening to this thing? Because it's got to have illusions. Um, but. Uh. So. Um, then, uh, yeah, Amari Bailey first. Uh, I yeah. mean, he's turned into. It's so funny because we've been a little conditioned by the first half of his season when he pulls up even in the mid range. But on his three, you say. Oh, God, what are the chances that going in? And now we're getting to the point where we're thinking it's going in. Um, yeah, he's at, okay, on threes this year, guys, he's at 39% now. That's great. And you know what? He was probably 25 for the first half of the season. Yeah, so his first, uh, what is it? Uh, so in the first month of the season, he was two. All right, so uh, through the Baylor game, he was two, four, eight. Uh, and then through uh, December 21st, he was 3, 6, 8, 4, uh, 8, 14, 17, uh, 21, 22. He was 8 for 22. I guess that's not too bad. That's not too bad, but not. The, he has to be, what, 45% over his last six, seven games? Yeah, and he's been at his best when his best is needed. Uh, versus the Which Ken is crazy. Palm, versus the Ken Palm Tier A. Uh, he is forty seven point six percent. Yeah. Um. So yeah, he is a more controlled Jules Bernard right now. Yeah, making more that controlled shot. senior senior Jules Bernard. Right. So then you have to. Okay, so UCLA goes up by one. Twelve seconds left, and this is what the bros are arguing about. Uh, yeah. And and you know what? It's a valid argument. I, I'm not going to just throw it out. Um. You know, there's a line of thought always. You're up by one. You don't want to foul someone that'll go to the line. Um, and and they had all their good free throw shooters in, except for Drew Timmy. And, uh, and make both free throws and leave you down one, say, with four seconds or something. I, I understand that. There's the other side of the coin where you do, you do pressure. Um, which which side of this argument are you on, Dave? So I would have liked. Um, I don't think you pick up fully full court. I mean, in the moment. So all right, let's dial it back. In the moment, I thought the most important thing to try to do was steal the inbounds um, and basically treat it as if you're still down. Um, and the reason is, I think there's. Um, if it's a two point game, I think you can settle into half court and just try to play aggressive on the perimeter. But as a one point game, there's just too many things that can happen. And Gonzaga's offense is too good. So I think you're still in mode where you need to try to get that ball. Um, and so my initial reaction was four court, four court trapping pressure, do the exact same thing you did on the previous play and see if you can force another turnover. My second instinct was, and this is probably the one I would have gone with is, Play half court defense, but have Dylan Andrews pick up full court and just have him be, you know, shadowing the ball handler just so that that guy doesn't have time to set himself up for a shot kind of the way that happened. Um, but I guess my point on that whole thing is, OK, so it goes back to the McClendon point that I was making earlier. You can pick any one thing because it was such a close game. You can pick any one thing. And because that was the end of the game, it's an important thing, but it's just one play. And so, yeah, is there a different way you could have approached that? Sure. Is it indefensible what Mick Cronin did? No. I mean, it's it's pick your poison. If you if you pick up full court, 
fully with like you know a trapping the whole thing uh you you there's a good chance because gonzaga's a pretty good passing team uh that you're going to give up a quick two on the other end or you're going to foul um and if you pick up with just token pressure if you pick up with just dylan andrews uh up court maybe he gets beat and if he gets beat it's five on four and they might get an open shot uh as it was re- counting on your half court defense that's been you know top two in the country for the entire year eh, not the worst idea in the world and frankly at any other point in the game you force a semi-contested 32 footer uh that's good defense so it, it 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 went in um and that's the that's the heartbreaking part but uh if that clangs off back rim everyone's saying well they forced a 32 footer dumb shot well that's the thing um it's not a high percentage shot no matter who's shooting it <laughs> no it's not so and that's you got the shot about, you kind of yeah. wanted him to take he just hit it now the argument uh, i'm kind of in the middle um i wouldn't have had uh, i wouldn't have thought about and of course we've had a lot of time to think about this um full court pressure no because they can break it or you can foul but just a little bit of token pressure. To, UCLA's done this for a lot of the season. Just to make them struggle to bring the ball up. So what happened was that there was no pressure. So I can't remember who had the ball initially. who handed it off to Strother. But that was too easy. Yeah. And, and he just stepped right into that shot. Which they could have made that more difficult. Is what I thought. Um, yep. That, that was what. I thought was was the miss, and I think Cronin kind of, in his way, said that in the post game that uh, Dylan Andrews should have been higher up around the screen and been closer on Strother when he took that shot. Yeah, so it, I think Cronin's point and Cronin's point on a couple things were interesting if you really paid attention to what he was saying because that one. Uh, and then there was the halftime interview, which I think was also important, or maybe it was the quarter interview, whatever it was. Um, but at the end, I think what he wanted was to deny even an attempt. He wanted Andrews so uptight on him that the guy wouldn't even think about shooting which from that I completely distance. agree. That's what, I, <clears throat> that's what I'm saying, too. Just deny yeah. him the ball. Yeah. And then the other part um, early on... Uh, people like really, really got upset with uh, UC. This is another thing that was on the board that I don't really understand because it worked. People really didn't like the defensive strategy of allowing Drew Temme to get his, but letting um, every, but basically keeping everyone home on shooters. Uh, it worked, guys. Uh, Gonzaga uh, did not play a very good offensive game. Uh, scoring one point one ish points per possession is a win against that team. Uh, they did pretty much what they needed to do. The problem with the Drew Timmy defense wasn't really Nuba. I mean, he was maybe a little passive at times, but the ball pressure was not quite good enough. And Cronin also addressed this, and he said, we have to prevent him from getting the ball. Um, And the way they were going to do that, because it's really hard to front him because they swing the ball around, and he's going to know where it's going quicker than the defender is. Um but the ball pressure needed to be better, so it wasn't a clean look into him. Um, and so I'd say there were two things, and that was what Cronin was saying there. But if you have a problem with the way they were defending Drew Timmy, the problem was actually the guys on the perimeter not preventing the um, the uh, post-entry passes as well as they should have. Yeah, I mean, and again, we're, we're nitpicking. Um, 
a lot of this is like you said, it's picking your poison. Yep. Uh, if you would have said UCLA's defense on the on Gonzaga's last possession is going to get them a thirty-two foot three, you would have said, "Yeah, do that." Um, here's something bizarre. I would have liked to see uh, Drew Timmy clank those two free throws right before that. As soon as he set up, just just foul him. Send him to the line. That uh, right at that point with like. Five six seconds left. Send him to the line. Yeah, I would have maybe thought about that as another. Yeah, that's but, but that's that, hard to think about in the heat of of the fog of battle. And also, like those are like the kind of mathematical like percentage plays that you're just not gonna see Mick Cronin make. Uh, he's going to do the stuff like I think he'll foul when they're up two or up three um, to prevent a three pointer. Like I think he knows that one, but. Come on. He's a defensive guy. He's not going to give them the opportunity to take the lead on a foul and an intentional foul uh, just to get the ball back. Yeah. Um, and so it's you got to know what coach, he, what, what coach the team has, and they're not going to do stuff like that. But I was with you. Like in that situation, especially given what he had just done at the line, yeah, no. Drew, Drew, you're, you're, you're stepping up. Go win this for your team, buddy. Um, and uh, because Gonzaga's offense is too good and they have too many shot makers. And in that kind of situation where you're exhausted, you're on tired legs, um, you, you, you gotta, you gotta give yourself the best chance. And I think the best chance probably would have been putting somebody at the line. So um, he, here's the other thing, looking back with 2020 hindsight, we were all really um, belaboring, fighting, discussing UCLA seed. Um, getting in the West. I mean, you can't foresee this at all, but, and I'm not saying it would have been better, but there, there's so often where they would be, they could be, if they're shipped out, I I mean, the, the way the other regions have, have happened, damn, I would have liked to have been in another region as, as a three seed, right? Yeah, it's just hard to know. It's hard um, to know, but I mean, what I'm saying is we place such an emphasis on that, and it's almost just out of give them respect, right? I don't. I don't. Well, I mean, I a lot of times it, we sh- we shouldn't belabor or or just take it so seriously that seating. Uh, I, I think, well, they, I think uh, I, there was just as many times where they could do just as well as a three seed in the East as they could as a two seed in the West. I, I guess my my thought there is they, I mean they would have, so if that game goes differently they win and I don't know the the crowd was great for UCLA and I don't know how much of that buoyed them to even have a chance in this game, um, playing in the West the reasons for it have for me have very little to do with respect I wouldn't have cared if they were a four seed in the West, um, it's more to do with. Uh, you don't have to travel. You don't have to do all that stupid crap. Um, and, you know, playing in the East where you're playing, you know, a lot of teams are going to have a much bigger fan showing than you. Uh, in the West, I mean, UCLA had probably the biggest crew in Sacramento. Northwestern did a nice job, but UCLA probably had the biggest crew, and they probably had the biggest crew in Vegas. Um, you know, Arkansas showed out, but they got they got got. Um so and I think that stuff matters, and I think not See, having to travel that's far matters. Does that matter? I think it does. I mean, if you look at UCLA's history, 
And yeah, it's a little bit. There's a lot of noise in the data, but when UCLA makes deep runs, it's except for the COVID year where they were literally in a bubble and they didn't have to travel. It's when they go through the West. That's how it always should be. They should just put them all in a one yeah. huge <laughs> arena and have them all play out. Yeah, forever. Uh, for three weeks. Yeah. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if looking at it now in hindsight, I mean, look what's coming out of the East. It's going to be Florida Atlantic or Kansas State. UCLA would annihilate either of those teams yeah, tomorrow. Was Kansas State was the three seed, right? Yeah, UCLA would beat either of those teams tomorrow. And if you gave you know UCLA the two, yeah, they would have had to play Michigan State and beat them again. But I would have I would have bet on them. Kentucky beat them again. Yeah, it, there would have been a lot of. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ways to look at it, but um, the path to the Final Four probably would have been a lot easier there because, frankly, looking ahead to to the Elite Eight, good luck, Gonzaga. Best of luck to you against Connecticut. Playing probably the hottest team in the tournament. Yeah, I, right I, I was I was not super looking forward to that matchup. I thought UCLA could be could win this game. I, I and this is to Mick Cronin's point, but I, I would have uh, I would have been concerned about the potential for a blowout against UConn. So um, I wrote the article basically trying to write a tribute to those three seniors. Mm-hmm. Um, we should probably say some things about them also. Uh, yes. And it, it always comes back to uh, when you're in that moment, you should really appreciate what you have. And having those three guys play for UCLA for this season, that Jaime came back, that David Singleton came back, and they all came back. I mean, they came back really for one thing, to try to win a national championship. You know, uh, it's funny. Mick Cronin has said this a few times lately. College basketball is hard. It's it's hard to play college. It, when we were in Sacramento, he said something like, yeah, when you're a pro, you go out the night before. <laughs> yeah. And, and when you watch a pro game, the the – the energy level is so low. Oh my God. It's like watching golf. <laughs> I mean, not quite that bad, but I mean it, the energy level is so low compared to a good college basketball game when damn, the intensity is wound up Yeah, and, and he's right. Um, so for these guys to decide to come back and get put through, a, I mean, it's a meat grinder to play, to be good. I mean, not to rip on Stanford, but you could be Stanford. And, it, you know, it, the season isn't really that – isn't that tough. Or you can try to compete for a national championship, and if you are, it's going to be a tough road. Yep. Um, those guys decided to do this. Yeah. I mean, Jaime Hawkes, you know, could you could rationalize and say he did it because he wanted to improve his draft stock, and he did. He probably went from a second-round draft choice to a first-round draft choice. But David Singleton, why did David Singleton come back? He's he's graduated. Because uh, he loves it. Because he wanted to stay with the program and he wanted to try to win a national championship. 
I mean, that's just, uh, you got to appreciate these, those three guys. Uh, I, I don't know if we'll ever, I mean, we probably will have something similar because the way Cronin builds his, his personnel and builds his roster, he, he, so far he has built it on those foundational three to four year guys. Um, so there's a possibility Wolf, you know, Mick Cronin will find the next Jaime Jaquez and the next Tiger Campbells, you know, and, and because that's how he does it. Um, but I don't know if you'll ever find it the way with the three guys, the way it, it was this season. Um, and then throw in Jalen Clark too, also. So um, it's just a matter th- this season, like I wrote, will always, you know, will always be listed as a sweet 16 and years from now, you'll think back, wow, that was, they, they underachieved as a sweet 16 team. I mean, they were a two seed. That's just doing the math. That's underachieving. Um, yep. But it will always be the year that they overachieved without two starters to play the kind of brand of basketball that they were playing. And it's a tribute not only to those players, but to Mick Cronin of the type of basketball that he wants to play and what he expects from his players that you can plug in other guys and they're playing with that expectation of toughness and effort um, that you can plug guys in and you can still play at this level and get everyone to expect and the team's expecting, the fans are expecting that they're still going to win a national championship without Jalen Clark and a Dembona. So yeah. that's what this year will always, will always mean to me. I'm always going to remember that even when I'm really, really old, I'm going to say you can't count that as a sweet 16. It's got an asterisk next to it. Yeah. Permanently. Um, and I think that's all, all totally right. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to miss watching these dudes play. Um, you know, uh, Jaime, uh, I mean, I, we've talked about it, like Spirit Animal for Mick Cronin's program, and, you know, that's going to be, uh, I don't know if irreplaceable, but going to be tough. Um, and the way he's grown as a player, um, you know, as a scorer, uh, is just uh, kind of incredible. Um, and then, you know, David Singleton, obviously this is David Singleton report online. We're going to need to change the name. Um, I, I, have you given any thought to what we're going to change the name to like Bruin report online? Is that something? Yeah, I got that. I, I have that, uh, domain that, purchase. Okay. So I might as well right. use it. Might as well use it. But for that guy, I mean, uh, just okay he's gonna go out there and shoot 42 percent from three every single year and you don't have to worry about it it's just gonna happen um and turn himself into a great defender and uh uh fully bought in and he's the guy who actually played for alford um that's not easy that's not easy to go from a guy who does not coach who's a uh you know a complete empty suit to mick cronin and do it pretty seamlessly. And the thing is, Singleton had some tough times. Um, you know, he when when Cronin came in, Singleton was the guy coming off a broken foot who was shooting poorly and not able to move very well. And Cronin was like, "Who the who's this guy? Who is this uh, guy?" That's what they said. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And because his uh, body had gotten not great. Yeah, no, he he, and it took him, it took him until deep into his second year under Cronin before he was even regaining a lot of that 
uh, athleticism, what what he has uh, by the end of that second year. Um, but to play himself into a trusted rotation guy who's going to play 38 minutes. A good, def- a, game, a really good defender. A really good and smart defender in a game that UCLA absolutely needed to win, and he was right there playing 38 minutes um, and a positive attribute on the floor. Uh, that's just crazy. And then, I mean, Kenny Nuba, look, should he have been asked to play 32 minutes against Drew Timmy in a Sweet 16 game? No. He was able to, and uh, UCLA nearly won the game. Uh, just picture yourself hearing that two years ago. Picture yourself hearing that a year ago. Picture yourself hearing that four months ago. Picture yourself hearing that a week ago. It's the strides he's made as a player, and you know we'll we'll see if he comes back next year. But the strides he's made as a player, where he is actually a player now. He's actually not a guy where you're like absolutely stunned when he plays 10 minutes where he doesn't fumble the ball away um what what development and what uh kind of personal character to fight through basically not playing not playing not playing and then you're you know you've got to be a key backup this year and you've got to play you know 30 plus minutes with a hurt groin against gonzaga against the best big man in the country and uh you do it well i mean hard hard to I mean, it's it's hard to really kind of quantify it in words. It's just uh, those guys. Um, yeah, McGrunn's going to have to continue to reload and the whole thing. But I love it uh, when I saw the stories that Twenty Four Seven did about uh, the NBA draftable guys on every team. I think they did. I, I know they did the Sweet Sixteen. I think they did it by by region too. Um. All the guys that they list for the other teams are just clear NBA-looking kind of prospects. Oh, yeah. And UCLA's got Jaime. Two guys. Is there any, is there any six, six, you know, not, not NBA athletic guy listed on all those other lists? Like Jaime Hawkes, six six power forward. Let's just be straight. He's a six six power forward. Um, yep. No, they're not. They're they're six eight wings. They're six six shooting guards. I mean, he's the one. I went down that list, and he's the one that just completely jumped out at me. Um, yep. And honestly, Jalen Clark isn't. How many six five guys who can't shoot? Right. Exactly. Not you wouldn't look at him and say Can't that's, dribble, that's really. a hands down NBA guy. Uh, you wouldn't say that about him. I mean, talking about getting the most out of your guys, um, it was really you know what's a it's still uh, Cronin in in press conferences. What he said about those guys last night is uh, was almost poetic. Yeah, right? I, I mean. What he talked about, Tiger Campbell squeezing every ounce of, of achievement out of his body. Um, that it's, it's funny too because we we really really suffer through recruiting. UCLA with twenty twenty three class was involved with a lot of guys. Isaiah Collier, number one point guard in the country, who chose USC over UCLA. Now, I'm sure the way uh, everyone out there 
thinks, well, that kid is opting to go the easier route, blah, blah, blah. The kids don't think that. They think they're making the best choice to get themselves to the NBA. Whether it's true, whether it's absolutely not true, that's what they're telling themselves. But it is a self-screening process. This is, this is not for everyone, Mick Cronin's program, but if you decide to do it, he's going to squeeze every ounce of achievement out of your body. Um, and this was, this was just a, an advertisement for that, uh, yeah. in, in my mind. Um, so if we're talking about recruiting, everyone needs to chill a little about it. Um, missing some, some of the like elite guys that they missed on in 2023, because if they're not, if they've decided for whatever reason that they're not going to go through Mick Cronin's program, it's better that they didn't choose this. Um, it is a self-screening process. And there are enough guys out there, the way he's going to build his rosters, he'll have nine to 10 guys that are three to four year players. And then it'll sprinkle in some high level NBA guys. That's the way you win in college basketball now. It's not one and dones anymore. Yeah. That's what we're seeing across college basketball. He's got the formula and he can get that done at UCLA. So we've that's the overview for personnel and building a roster. Now let's talk a little bit about next year, Dave. Let's um, do it, Tracy. Um Jalen Clark, what he tweeted out, and then your response. Well, so uh, people often misread um, misread uh, player tweets. Um, now, I think – so here's the thing. I don't think Jalen Clark is, has decided one way or the other what he's going to do. There's a reality associated with Jalen Clark that I think he's going to have to come to grips with and uh, everyone else should keep in the back of their heads. Um, he has a major injury, and he's not going to get drafted. Um, and now – he could decide to do something and try to, you know, rehab and then sign a contract with somebody and see if they'll take a flyer on him. But uh, Achilles injuries are notoriously um, difficult to judge, difficult to assess. You could regain all your athleticism or you could not. And uh, I love Jalen. He's not a good enough prospect that anyone's going to take a flyer on him. Um, so there's that. In his, what he was in saying, his mind, though, don't you think that – I mean, the way these kids think, he had it in his mind he was leaving before the injury. Yes, and I think that was obvious with kind of what he said at different interviews. Yeah, um, but I think the reality is that he's going to have to make a different decision, and I think it's going to take him some time to come to grips with that. But I would take everything that he said last night, which was more or less a thanks for a great season. This was awesome. This was a lot of fun. And if we're all feeling this is an end of an era um, – you can bet guys on the team are also feeling similar ways. So, you know, him posting something that kind of reads like a little bit of a goodbye message. Guys do that all the time. And right now he might think I'm going to the NBA, but he's not announcing that right now. That's not what that was. And, and it, it's like what you said in his mind, he, he could be thinking this because that's what he thought before the injury. But he's going to get a – he'll get a dose of reality. Yeah. I mean, he, it's, I can't see anyone 
committing to taking him given who he is, like we talked about it. And then with a, a serious Achilles injury. Um, yeah. So I would, I would have to expect he'll return now, whether he'll be able to come back for this next season. I mean, we don't know. It, it could be any, we, I literally don't know. It could be a ruptured Achilles. It could be just a tear, right? I mean, there's anywhere yeah. a ruptured Achilles could take a year. I think. Yep. And or I mean, there's so there's different degrees. He could be back in time for the first game, or he could be back by January, or he might miss all of next year. Who knows? Yep. Um. But I think we're all kind of waited waiting here for a Dembona and a Mari Bailey. That that's the big thing on what they're going to do for next season. I, I can't see. It would be surprising if a Dembona ended up staying in the NBA draft. I'm saying staying because I bet he might put his name in just to test the waters. Um, we're speculating, but from some of the things we heard, we expect him to have some kind of off-season procedure on his shoulder. Um, whether, and that, you know, speculating again, but you know, you don't come back from that in a, in a week. It, it's a few months, um, which would make him miss the NBA combine, which was, would be critical for him. He need, he needed to go to the NBA combine and jump out of the gym and, you know, sh- flash that athleticism to where he can switch on to guards. Um, so that's, that's not going to happen for him. So I would expect when he goes through his process, like Jalen Clark is, I would expect him to come back. Uh, Amari Bailey, you talked about it in the last broadcast. Yeah, um, I I think he's going to have a decision to make. Um, I would say, you know, from a – I think he's – the problem is he played played really well over the last three – four weeks of the season. And that's a problem because uh, a lot of those were nationally televised games. A lot of those games were watched by people. Um, and the, the, the way he played in just this last game, I think, is that's 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 the kind of stuff that should open some eyes. I mean, he got up that first play out of the second half, though, that great drawn-up uh, lob that just didn't connect right. He got up for that dunk. Um it just didn't go down, but um, I I think. Look, I, I think there's a case to be made for him to return, and I think there's a case to be made that he could get himself into the th- first round based on you know what workouts show if he is truly regaining all that athleticism, um, and based on his performance over the last month of this season, um, there's a lot to like there, and he clearly has a good makeup. Um, so I think, you know, you could, a team could be convinced like this could be our guy and we might be able to get him at the end of the first round. But here's the thing. What is he on the NBA level? I mean, I think he's going to have to be a point guard. guard. He's a lead guard. I think, yeah, I think he's gonna have to be a point guard. I w- if I were, if I were an NBA scout, I'd say I like, I like the size. I like the athleticism. I've, I, I like his his scoring ability that he's been showing towards the end of the season. Even if I, let's say I know him well and his athleticism is coming back. Great. 
but um, point guard skills of ball handling, passing, uh, sense, uh, uh, you know, offensive sense in a half court, uh, all of that. I think that would be my question because he, he has to be a lead guard. Yeah. Um, I would, I would question whether that's there because he, he's not a point guard in college. Um, he has some point guard flashes types of skills, obviously clearly, but I would be question. I wouldn't be questioning all the other things I'd be saying, Oh, okay. His scoring is coming on. His athleticism is getting there. He's, but he's going to have the ball in his hand a lot. Yeah. And can he do that on the NBA level? If he came back next year and let's say it was him and Dylan Andrews in the backcourt, you could probably expect Amari Bailey would be handling the ball a lot. Without a doubt. Yeah. So I don't know. It's interesting. Um, and it's, and the, the problem for both the, with both Bailey and Bona is the time. It's going to take some time because they're going to go through at least some portion of this process. And, you know, if with, with Bona, we'll see how serious the, you know, procedure that we're, you know, semi-speculating, but not really about, we'll see how long that, you know, maybe leaves him out, but they're going to go through some level of a process. Um, and so there's going to be a lot that's not known until pretty late in the spring, if not in the early summer. But it's it's better now than it was. Remember, in the other off seasons, it was a matter they were full or yeah. they weren't. <laughs> right now, right now they're they they would be standing at eleven scholarships, and I'm saying that Tiger Campbell isn't coming back. I'm counting them carrying Jalen Clark's scholarship that he's still on the team. Yeah. So you have you have two scholarships. Um point guard's pretty good, pretty set. Um yep. you'd have to you'd have to figure in at post um if you have Nawuba coming back, you have Eddie in, you have Devin Williams. Those are all not starter level UCLA players, but then you could have Bona. So let's just leave that. Let's leave post. Uh, just put a pin in that for a while. What you need are, you have two scholarships. You need wings. Yep. And a, a bigger wing would be great. A really good shooting wing would be great. Um, everyone makes a big thing about a, a six, having a 6'8 power forward who can face up. And I, that's good and everything. But there are upside and downside to that. Offensively, kind of makes sense. The matchup will be tough. It'll be hard to find someone to literally be able to uh, uh, defend him if he's like got his back to the basket. Especially, you know, then he could stretch, he can face, he can put the ball on the floor. That's hard. But six, eight guys in college will need to defend usually 65 to 67 wings. So it's you got to look at it as the D, and there aren't there aren't too many 68 face up uh forwards who are quick enough to guard 65 wings. If they are, they're NBA players and they're probably not going to be in the transfer portal. Um Yeah. I would rather take a six five 
the six six athlete who can who has a lot of offense, who can put the ball on the floor, who can score, and can score around the basket. And you could see him matching up defensively against a six eight uh opponent. Someone like Jaime Hawkes, but more athletic. Uh, a yeah. better natural on ball defender. I would well, take I would take one big, right? And then love to have three wings that are all six four to six six. And I'll go I'll go to battle and all great athletes and all great defenders, I'll take that any day. Yeah, agreed. I would say the 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 one thing that I think uh UCLA needs to prioritize going into next season with Bona and Clark's status still uncertain is that there has to be some with that wing, that kind of unicorn wing who's a more athletic Jaime Hawkes, uh that guy needs to be a badass rebounder too. Like that guy needs to be able to clear the defensive glass. And you can find six six guys who can do that in college basketball, but that needs to be a priority because if this team had a, had a an Achilles heel all year, um big part of it was defensive rebounding. Um they were never elite at it. They were always kind of average, but a couple of games they got pretty beat up on the defensive glass. Um and without Jaime, who was their best defensive rebounder all year, that needs to be a priority too. Um, because even if Bona comes back, even if Clark comes back, uh, Clark probably isn't going to be 100% to start the year. And Bona was not a great defensive rebounder. Um, that 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 pseudo four spot needs to be a rebounder. Um, and I've talked about the two international players, prospects. Um, that would greatly enhance UCLA's talent level. Um, so I, I think just getting back to those wings. So it really comes down to they have two open spots. They'll probably look for they'll look for wings. Any anyone from six four to six seven six eight. That's a wing that can defend. Um, they'll look for that uh, within uh, international options and transfer options. Um, Reese sticks and waters. Uh, transfer from USC just went into the transfer portal. I wrote that I expect UCLA to be interested. Some things might have to shake out. I mean, he'll want to see, you know, how much interest he can garner from across the country. And maybe UCLA want to see what its roster is looking like, you know, in the next few weeks um, at least. But I could see, I could see that happening. He's he's a good fit for Cronin. Cronin even said in that post game interview when he completely torched them in the second half, uh, the game at Poly Pavilion. Tough kid, know his parents. <laughs> yeah. Um. As I wrote, uh, as I wrote in that article, he's from Compton Magic, Com- huge Compton Magic connection. Uh, I could absolutely see that possibly ha- that being a real option. Um, yeah, I, I would I would take him. Yeah. Um, I'll drop one big thing for everyone just to, because I know we're all still a little depressed, and I, I think I can say this uh, to make you all feel better. Um, UCLA is doing well with Alon Fiblul. Ooh, look at you dropping the name. Alon Fiblul. Fiblul. I'm just really excited about saying that. 
Yeah, it's gonna be fun. I'm not saying he's he's coming to UCLA, but uh, it's funny though. Someone someone put it together on the forum. You guys should read all of those threads. Someone put it together. When I started saying there are two international guys, someone said, "Yeah, I was reading the Gonzaga board, and they said they're not doing well with Alon Fablu anymore." Uh, UCLA is doing pretty well with him right now. Now that doesn't mean he he's he's absolutely coming. But that's a real possibility. Um, that's a talented kid. He's about 6'6". Uh, I heard when he was on campus for his official visit, they were a little surprised at just how tall he was. Like, he stood next to Jaime Hawkes, and he was about the same height. Um, and he is a talented kid. Um, so there's, there's that. Um, and I'm not saying that they'll end up with three sticks and waters, but if they got Fiblu and Dixon Waters, dang, that that would be that would be a pretty. I'm I'm still an Abramo Zonka fan. I think he's going to end up a real player. Like I I watched him at games when I'm sitting courtside, and that you know warming up, and that dude is just nailing threes, and then he hits his three cold coming off the bench. Um, yeah, and he's he's a long, good-looking athlete who can who can rebound. Yeah, um, so maybe the answer. Uh, and the thing is, I, I think he might. I, I think expecting him to jump in and play like twenty-eight minutes a game next year is probably a bit much. But play a key backup role off the bench. I I think he's Jalen Clark. Yeah, you know, I, I think next year he's Jalen Clark as a sophomore, playing eighteen minutes or whatever. Yep, yep, and I think he knows it too uh from what i you know uh, he's he is happy to be in west happy to be there knows he needs to develop uh, he's already put on since he's been there he has looked bigger and i was told he's put on 20 pounds already probably wants another 10 or so um so it's all good for him he's in a great situation for himself uh yeah. he just has to become a made man <laughs> with mick cronin and I, and I think he will um, because, I think he will too because he likes to he likes to play some defense. So I just dropped that big thing. Um, yeah, you sure. Did. And so I think everyone, you've got something to really look forward to next year. I, I like I said, they won't be as experienced and savvy, but they'll probably they could be more talented. Whatever, it'll still be Mick Cronin's program, and if 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 nothing. What the last, uh, I don't know, literal four, three and a half seasons have proven. It's the program, man. It, talent talent matters. It's the like what program. you wrote on the forum, yeah. that thing, yeah. which we're going to turn into a story because it was so good. I just published it. Okay. His quote yeah. was, that's not what time it is at UCLA. Yeah. No, he's kind of poetic a he, lot of times. And he, he says it with that like pseudo Cincinnati drawl too. Yeah. He's it's like just, a street poet. Yeah, it's really great. It's very cool. It's really yeah. cool. He should have been, he should have been a poet. Yeah, they should have sent a poet. All right. Well, I think that's about it for us, Tracy. I'm done. I'm done. Um, All right. It was well, a great well, season. Let's. It was really it was a lot of fun. Let's go out there on the bro forum and just really, really see how much we appreciate this this team and yeah, and and make it so that Dave and Tracy and Mike and all those moderators don't have to delete all your posts yeah yeah please do that just be nice all right well for tracy pearson i'm david woods burn a port online and we will talk to you again next time see you